Welcome back. This is your kind of well, kind of toxic host, Sarah Rittendale, bringing you another episode of Wellish. Bonnie Suri, welcome to Wellish. I am so excited that you are here with us today. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Absolutely. I will just go ahead and let you introduce yourself. Tell us what you're all about. Okay. So I like to call myself a recovering runner, not the kind with the small shorts, the good time to be, or the very cool shoes, but the kind that constantly runs from themselves to avoid and escape the discomfort of being in their own body and mind. So with that being said, I am a self-relationship expert and a breakthrough coach and speaker, and I work with people helping them to rebuild their relationships with themselves and their life. Sweet. So what are the first steps to rebuilding your relationship with yourself? Wow. So (laughs) I think it's really important to get to that point where you realize things just can't continue, where you know you can do better and you're frustrated that you're not, um, where you have been consistently trying really loosely uh, towards a goal or towards a change or anything like that. Once you're able to identify, uh, you know, that I know I can do better, I'm really frustrated that I'm not, that's at the point where you'd come to yourself and and it would be being able to identify what it is about yourself that just isn't working for you anymore. What is it about your life that just isn't uh, fulfilling to you anymore? Okay. So I would suggest that as your first step. Honestly, when I first started this, I I had no idea where to start. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask is what was, what happened for you? What made you come to this realization that you weren't happy and weren't living a life that was fulfilling to you? Oh, so Easter t- 2010, I had the small opportunity of watching a home video of myself. Um, at that time, my husband, my three young kids, all under five, Myself, we lived at my mom's house. We lived in their basement. My husband, you know, jumped from temp job to temp job. We relied on the state for food and medical. And it was the Easter afternoon. My four-year-old daughter ran up to me and she kept telling me, mommy, you're on grandpa's TV. Come see, come see. And she's pulling me and pulling me. And in my mind, I'm thinking of all the other things I have to do you know, my chores, the laundry, the vacuuming again, over and over, because that's life. (laughs) So she got really frustrated with me. She started crying and to get her to stop crying, I said, okay, fine. I'll watch this video of myself on grandpa's TV, also known as a tablet. Okay. So I sat on my lap. I I sat down on the couch, sat her on my lap and the tablet's over here to my left. Uh, My stepdad's holding it and he has my other two kiddos on his lap. And I hear them kind of just talking about things that are going on. And I'm looking straight ahead, thinking of like, oh, I don't want to see myself. This is stupid. Right? I don't want to watch it. And suddenly I started seeing things out of the peripheral, you know, the corner of my eye, my peripheral vision. And what I saw was me standing at the kitchen sink and my back was to my family. My three kids were on the floor with my mom and she was teaching them how to play jacks oversized jacks my stepdad and husband were in the back corner by the easter table and um my four-year-old the same one who invited me to watch the video jumped up off the floor she ran over to the easter table and she started picking up eggs looking at them and putting it down she'd pick up an egg look at it and put it down she reached across the table she walked on her tippy toes and she grabbed this egg she looked at it and she just lit up She came running behind me at the kitchen sink, egg in hand, hands up. And she says, mommy, I made this for you. And she's holding the egg, mommy, over and over and over again. And I'm ignoring her. Mm -hmm. Gets tired of it. She says, mommy, I made this for you. And she yells at me. And I turn around and I smack the egg out of her hand and I yell, I don't care. I don't want it. When the egg hits the oven door and it just beats the floor and it just burst into pieces. My back was to her again. So I only seen her reaction because of the video. 
And she looked up at me and then she looked down at the pieces on the floor and she picked up the bigger pieces and she held them in her hand and she kissed them as she was turning. And I seen her whisper something to the eggs. And I was like, what did she just say? What did she say? I need to know what she said. Mm-hmm. And as she walked past the tablet, I heard her say, it's okay. Grammy says, mommy loves me. And in that moment, it was just like, what? Mm-hmm. Grammy says, I couldn't remember the last time I told my kids I love them. I didn't know the last time it was that I played with them, when I took them in, when it didn't feel like a chore. I, I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really confused because, you know, I had been 300 pounds and I had lost exactly half my body weight. I thought, well, if I lose the weight, then I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't. And I did what my mom told me. You know, make sure the kids are happy. If the husband's happy, everybody's fed, then you'll be happy. I did what other people said, you don't complain. You know, you just smile. You know, think about all the good stuff, things like that. Mm-hmm. And it was working for me. And so I knew I had four decisions that came to mind. There are things that I had thought about before. Uh, I could go to the store, tell my family that's what I was doing. And I could just literally run away, not come back to my family, try to start over, you know, somewhere else. I could um, kill myself. Uh, Suicide was a consistent struggle with me. It was in my mind almost daily. Mm. I could wait for things to change, wait for the house, wait for the job, wait for the stability that I didn't have, that I desperately wanted, or I could change. And there was something about the intensity of that moment, seeing everything, uh, my kids, my family, and my my whole energy, just that being that was standing there. I felt so separate from her. Where it's just like, well, I I want to change. I I need to change. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to do it. I don't know if it's possible, but I, I need to try to change. Mm-hmm. So I had called my dad, who was always into personal development, loved those books, loved studying it. And I told him what I had experienced and his suggestion. Oh, my gosh, I can remember it today, just the way it made me feel. It just irritated me to the core. (laughs) He said, well, I can read to you. And I thought, what? you want to read to me? Did you hear anything that I just said? Like, and you want to read, but I, I honestly, I didn't have anywhere else to start. Okay. And so it was the commitment to show up for my dad every day for 15 minutes, just to hear him read these books. Mm -hmm. And these books started to give me different ideas to think about. It started to adjust my dialogue. And then I found I couldn't wait for dad to call And in my spare time, I was thinking of, you know, this possibility of a life and this version of myself in ways that I never had before. So I would say your first step is really to identify. I know there's my life needs to change and I need to be the one to make that change. And the second step, I would say to stop abandoning yourself. Mm, Okay. I love that statement. Yes keeping those promises you make to yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if so, if you were to set up a date with somebody, right? Uh, you guys decide on a location, you decide on a time, you show up to it and you're waiting and waiting and waiting. 15 minutes later, they don't show up and you call and they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I was scrolling through you know social media. I just completely forgot. I really want to meet you though. Really want to talk about this. Let's meet tomorrow this time. So you show up again, right? The same thing happens. They're late. You call them and they're like, oh my gosh, just really didn't feel like it today. Can we try again? So do you reschedule or have you made the decision? This person isn't worth my time and I can't trust them. Yeah. Do that to ourselves so often. And we wonder why we have a hard time trusting ourselves. We never should. Totally. 
Totally. Oh my God. It's, I think that was one of the most mind blowing things for me to realize that self-trust played a role in so much of what we do. I thought it was just like the singular thing that sat over here that I was like, oh yeah, okay, I'll work on that at some point, but it totally contributes to your confidence, to everything. That's, that's such a good point. I like how you compare it to that too. Cause I like how you called yourself a self-relationship coach. Like when you talk about like a relationship coach, you know, it's the yeah. same exact concept. Yeah. It's if you could mirror it, there's things that you would be like, Oh, my partner's not communicating this to me. My partner's not treating me right. My mm-hmm. partner's not doing this and this and this, but if you take partner's name off and you know, if you're writing a list of all these things and you write your name, where's the accountability? Right, right. Where's that relationship with yourself? So you can't expect somebody to treat you better than, you know, you're willing to treat yourself. And that's really what the self relationship is all about. And it goes so, so deep, even into hidden fears and securities and our shadow self, if you will. Sure. What holds people back from becoming their most authentic selves? So when I work with my clients, generally there's this this vision, this thing that they're wanting to accomplish, whether it be, you know, business or a lifestyle change, or they're just really wanting to stop beating themselves up. So ultimately there's a vision. And when I'm working with them, what I find is that we've created these pain links to this vision. So each link represents this hidden fear about this better self, this better experience. Sometimes it shows up as this hidden idea of, I really want it, but I'm not sure that I could sustain it. Mm. I really want it, but um, what if I'm fooling myself and it's just too big? So really the reason I find that a lot of people don't show up for themselves are the core beliefs that they have about themselves. So if you can imagine reading a book, a, a children's book, and the title talks about this amazing safari and the words are talking about a safari, but the images are of, of like a rainforest. So suddenly you're like, well, why am I looking at a rainforest? But I'm, you know, there's this dry safari we're talking about. The image, right, doesn't match the story. Mm-hmm. So they have an image for themselves, but the dialogue, the programming is not in alignment with this image. And it creates confusion in the body. And the body will naturally resist anything that's uncomfortable. It will avoid, um, it will escape, it will look for comfort. So if there's confusion, naturally you're going to try to find a way to avoid or escape the thing that you're wanting mm-hmm. uh, because your dialogue and your image just are not in alignment with each other. Okay. So what would you, like you mentioned it being uncomfortable to rebuild the relationship with yourself. What would you tell somebody that was wanting to quit because of that discomfort? You know, there's so much, there's such a gift in being able to identify your own triggers. Mm. Uh, I I believe that this comes down to a place of um, the way you react, your triggers, Because this right here is where you're going to get into what um, I like to call your hidden rule book or, you know, your contract with yourself, the conditions you've set with yourself that um, say, basically, I need you and other people to behave a certain way towards Mm -hmm. me. And if you don't, I'm going to feel and behave this way. And so not only do we have that hidden rule book with others on how we want them to treat us so we maintain the comfort in our own world, but we have it with ourselves as well. So um, if it's not as easy as we want it to be, then that means, oh, you know, I must not be on the right path. I must be doing the wrong thing. This is where mindset comes in. This is where your willingness to be able to say that, the growing pains, if you will, mm-hmm. are what, what creates the change. How present am I willing to be? I, I, I believe that we self is the purpose of life to be able to experience self in all, you know, different versions in expansive ways. I so, love that. Yeah. So if we're constantly, you know, avoiding our expansion then we're going to experience the suppression, which is the depression of 
you know, all the pressure of wanting to expand and not allowing ourselves to. Mm -hmm. So it comes to the point of honest, honest, honesty. When you are done tolerating the way that you have been and the way that life has done for you, that's when you'll make the change. Mm -hmm. That's when you will. And that's when I'm ready to work with people. And honestly, that's when you're ready to invest in the support where you're done tolerating, you've let yourself down and you're like, I need that accountability mm-hmm. and that extra help. So that answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually going to ask you about perceiving other people as rude to talk about your triggers, but that's a hundred percent something that you have to work on. And I agree with you completely. I like yeah. too how you talk about that. You can use that to your advantage to heal and grow, like to recognize like, oh, that bothered me instead of wasting my energy, getting mad at that person for being what I think is like rude and insensitive to look inside and be like, why do I think that? What is unhealed in me that I need to figure that out? Yes. So can I share a quick story about triggers? Please. I was leaving out of town to go speak at a woman's conference and our, my husband did the morning routine with me. Uh, He took our daughter to school with me so he could just see the timing and, you know, our routine. So he could just, he could do it. He had to do it Mm -hmm. because I was leaving. So I drop her off and he starts asking me questions. He's real calm. And he's just asking me questions, you know, when school starts, you know, breakfast, when she wakes up, why are we getting there so early? And he's just trying to put things together. My husband is a master at efficiency. Like, no doubt about it. <laughs> and as he's asking me questions, I start getting really defensive in my responses. That's me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm getting really defensive. My tone is getting louder. I'm I'm being frost really rude. And he said, B, I, I'm not sure why you're getting upset with me. I'm just trying to understand to see if the, you know, of course, if this is if there's a different way that I can do it. And we got to a point where he was asking me a question and finally I got really loud and I was doing some shadow work with myself at the time. So I knew how to articulate. I knew how to communicate to him what was actually going on instead of forcing myself to take that deep breath and just suppress that anger. I let it come out and I let it come out. And I said to my husband, this has nothing to do with you. This anger has nothing to do with you. I know that you've never said any of the things that I'm feeling right now, but your questioning is making me feel like I'm not good enough. I'm not a good enough mom. There could have been a better way that I'm not smart enough, that I'm not capable. So instead of suppressing it, instead of holding it, instead of breathing through, I let it out the way I was experiencing it inside. And I was very clear to him that his questions were not my problem that he had um, actually triggered some insecurities and they had come to the surface. I even told him in that moment, I'm not going to be quiet. I need to let this out the way I'm experiencing it. Yes, it was outrageously vulnerable. My husband's been on this journey with me. I got married to him when I was 17. He was 19. So it's been a long journey together. Absolutely. So the willingness to be vulnerable and the the necessity to be right mm-hmm. have to become separate. Okay. It absolutely has to become separate because that's there, there's an honesty here. Mm-hmm. If I'm feeling these emotions, because that's gonna trigger that hidden rule book. If he's asking me questions and I'm starting to feel I'm not good enough, I could have done this better, I'm not smart enough, I'm not capable, I'm not a good enough mom. If we can identify that rule book and those things that have come up with honesty and vulnerability, then that says, I can see where I forced myself to hide this instead of expose it to heal from it. I have to tell you, that is just about the coolest freaking thing I've ever heard because I, that is totally me to a T that I will like freak out like that or get like 
moody and irritated. And it's completely because of those underlying insecurities. It has nothing to do with what they say or what their questions are. Like it is completely because it's like, am I not good enough? Do you think I'm stupid? Am I not doing the right thing? I don't know. And that brings up that anger and what a better way to express it to actually be vulnerable and and express it because then how you say you have to separate the being right from the vulnerability technically you are right because it's just your feelings so you're right in your feelings (laughs) yeah get that satisfaction a little bit from there Hmm. and that's so interesting I like that a lot something that I think is super interesting that you talked about I was looking on your website and you had mentioned it there that you talk about that you were constantly chasing the spark of life, which I feel like is something that most people do that, whether that's to an extreme or not, like I can picture people wanting to, you know, have this wonderful life. They travel all the time. They like make a lot of money. What can I do in order to get there? But also just like on a daily basis that you're just like, what can I do today to have a good day? And you're like almost living in this, like, I don't know, race. (laughs) You're like, if I don't accomplish this, I failed and I screwed it up. So like, now my day isn't happy or isn't good. And does that mean I'm not happy? Can you explain why chasing that spark doesn't work? Well, this would go to the beliefs about, you know, existence, about life. What's the purpose? What's the meaning? Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe that it's important for you to have some sort of goal or to be able to realize the goal, because I believe that the goal is your higher self or soul saying, go on this journey so that you can experience an expansive version of yourself, this next version, a more full version of you. So maybe it's um, translated also into more of your potential. I believe that we self is the spark we're looking for because it's through the body that we have these experiences. Mm-hmm. So if we learn to be present with ourselves, whether it be just a morning walk or drink your coffee or tea on the back porch and on the sunrise, or just that moment of just you and that, that space to give yourself that 10, 15 minutes to yourself and just really ask yourself those questions. What do, what feels right today? What, what feels right to work on today? Um, is there something I should pay attention to today? Uh, you know, and give yourself that space to be present. The brain is a find and seek tool. If you ask yourself a question, it wants to come up with an answer right away. Mm-hmm. That's why knowing what types of questions is important. So if you're asking yourself, why am I so stupid? Why do I get this wrong every time? Blah, blah, blah your brain is going to come up with answers to support and say, oh, well, because do you remember this, this, and this? And you really back yourself into a corner. But if you ask yourself more open questions, how could I improve this part of my life? How could I feel better about this situation? What could change here that would, you know, make me feel more satisfied with the quality of my life? So really being able to ask yourself those questions, but also I say, you know, for that morning spark or that daily spark, give yourself the opportunity to be with you present. Okay. Does that go into how you start to communicate with your mind and body? Is it those questions? That's, it's an excellent way. It's an excellent way. I always teach my clients to become the scientists themselves in their life so to become really observant nothing is right nothing's wrong nothing's good nothing's bad so now we remove all the judgment of self and behavior and experiences and now we're just observing ourselves and the way we interact with life and other people so um that also helps you to pull away from, you know, people who are really high in stress, their nervous system is out of whack. So they're really reactive and responsive or really reactive, not necessarily responsive, really triggered. And so um, they're, they're operating on autopilot. Mm -hmm. So when you can, you know, get yourself to be the scientist, it disconnects you, unplugs, and it really, it creates a pattern interrupt in the mind. 
So it causes you to be present of your body. It causes you to be present of what's going on around you. It causes you to be just coming back to self. Mm. Yeah. How, I don't want to say how long, but like how, what does it take in order to like reach this point? Do you feel like you've reached a point that you're like a hundred percent wonderful? Obviously I feel like you're going to tell me no, <laughs> yeah. but like, how does that, what, is there a point that you like cross a threshold that you're like, okay, I feel like I got it. Or do you think it's like a co- consistent collective of figuring it out? So that's, that's a really excellent question because people who are not um, where they want to be, look at people and think they're, they've got it all. Mm-hmm. But the truth is anytime you, you get to where you think you want to be, you realize that there's more. Mm-hmm. So what I would say, and in all honesty is I've gotten to a space because I practice this on a regular basis where the awareness and I'll say reduces the amount of time I spend suffering in my own dialogue. Okay. Right. So I'm quick to be able to identify it. I use the tools that I use, you know, have my clients use that I teach in trainings and speaking. So I use the tools that I've gathered, that I've collected, that I've learned. I use them on a regular basis. So like I said, I don't stay in a place of like, real lowness or pity or you know really at a lower energy I don't stay there nearly as long as I used to and I can make a shift very quickly uh, within minutes actually Uh, but it does take that consistent practice Mm -hmm. of of your behavior and also applying the tools that you learn Mm -hmm. because it's totally a skill It's totally something that you have to build over time. Like you say, practice. What are, you mentioned the tools. What are some of your favorite ones? So for people who have goals. So like I said, I work with a lot of entrepreneurial women who, or women who are in transitional phases, whether it be the new job, you know, starting their business, a new relationship, a move across country, whatever it is. Um, I do what I call inform the future writing. I'm a huge believer in the power of writing and knowing actually how to prompt up the writing to get the brain and your body to respond in a really predictive way. So if there's this experience that you want to have, I say go to the future, activate your imagination, uh, go to the future and grab an experience that you'd love to have and journal about it as if you just experienced it that day. I have heard of that. I heard manifestation journaling is what I heard it to be called. So sure, I could see that. Because the key here, one of the biggest things that we I think we need to be taught in school that we're not, is that the thought activates the imagination. Mm-hmm. Anything that's going on in the imagination, the body produces the emotion, the energy, to make that video uh, become tangible experience. So if I'm imagining myself, um, you know, failing on stage or I'm falling on stage or I forget my lines, I'm focusing on the fear, you start to feel anxious. That anxiousness is the energy necessary to create scenarios like that. To oh, okay. Like that. Okay. Logically, we know this isn't really happening body doesn't know. That's why when you think about the future you don't want, you can feel the dread, the fear, panic, the desperation of what do I do, the franticness. Mm -hmm. When you think about the future you do want, you can experience the, wow, it feels expansive. It feels exciting. There might be a little scared there, but it feels mostly great, Mm -hmm. right? The future you don't want and the future you do want happened in the exact same place. It's the exact same thing. It all happened in your mind. Mm-hmm. Didn't actually happen. The only thing that changed was how it informed the body to produce the energy to make that image manifest in your reality. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's so interesting. Yeah. Like I said, I've heard of the manifestation journaling and I did it for a little while. I can say that I 
fell off like some things do but I um I really enjoyed it when I was doing it and now I'm probably gonna start doing it again now that we have this conversation yes but that's so interesting I've never heard it in talked through that way that obviously if you're producing those emotions from you why wouldn't the why wouldn't life follow through with it if you're already because it's almost like you're looking for those things is that how that works kind of Yeah. So here's the trick though. If you're not studying it, you're not going to be aware of it. So you have the the thought and then you, the imagination, right? Mm -hmm. When it comes, that information gets filtered through your belief system. So that's why you can create this awesome plan and be like, yes, I'm going to do it this time and feeling really great. And then three days later, you've never started because it went through your, your belief system. It basically filtered. And this image did not match your internal dialogue. So once it filters through your belief system, your internal filter, that's actually going to make the decision on how you behave. Okay. Do you think that the internal dialogue is conscious, but also subconscious? Because like, sometimes I feel like, like I thought I say like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the manifestation journal. And then like, I do feel and I don't want to admit it, but I do feel like somewhere in the back of my head, I'm like, but will you, you, you screwed up this time. Like you didn't follow through with it this time. So like what you're gonna do it for a couple of days and then quit. So do you think it's like both or what? There's, I think that there's a div awareness where we call ourselves out. Uh, but it's only because that's how we've, that's the relationship we've built with ourselves. We only hold ourselves as accountable as to our level of our willingness to get uncomfortable. Okay. So your writing in the manifestation journal, there isn't enough reason for you to do it. You still tolerate um, not showing up for yourself because there's something about what it is you're manifesting or wanting to manifest that you don't necessarily uh, believe you can achieve. Okay. Okay. Yeah filter through your belief system and you say, yeah, but this image isn't matching. So that's why rehearsing, when I say informing the future, doing that writing, you're practicing the emotion of being in that future experience. And when you practice the energy of that over and over and over again, your body won't know what's real and what's not. And eventually you start to behave like the character you see in that future experience. Okay. That's so interesting. So what is the difference then between, what do you think is the difference between the happiness that you were trying to achieve at that point in your life when you were like chasing that spark compared to now? It was all my self-worth. Okay. The spark I was looking for was really me. If, if I break down everything to the simplest here, it would be me feeling that there was a reason for me to be alive. Okay. I think you said something at the beginning of this that I thought was interesting about how you thought when you were going to lose the weight that you would be happy, that you were like trying to reach these milestones. I actually used to be a fitness coach and I saw that a lot, that people would think that if they lost the weight, that that would solve all of their problems. And it doesn't because it doesn't build that character within you. When you have these problems surrounding you, like let that be something like weight or, you know, your husband cheats on you or something horrible is happening in your life. Can you... Can you think of a way or do you know a way to kind of separate yourself from that? Like, what does that look like? How do you how do you accept yourself in that situation to begin to love yourself fully when you're not happy with what is going on? Like you're not happy with your weight. Get that person who can see you inside your life. Because you're so close to everything. You're inside the picture. You don't even know there's a frame. Okay. Right. You are so used to the stories you've been telling yourself, uh, the dialogue that you, you convince yourself, I say yourself, but this is how we work, that you thought of everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So having somebody else to help you see the full picture 
uh, that's going to be a great place to start. Okay. Can I ask you this then? What happens if you feel alone? Like if you don't have somebody there to help you see that bigger picture? So here's an interesting thing. A lot of times what I have found, especially working with my clients and with myself, is that when we feel alone, it's only because when we go into our mind, we choose to only see ourselves and nobody around us. Okay. So there are resources, there are tools, somebody that feels and is truly genuinely feels I'm alone. Their next question would be, then if I'm alone, it's just me that I need to worry about. That I, or, and I, I, I don't even like to say worry about that I get to take care of. Mm-hmm. It's just me that matters then. So what am I going to do for me? Mm-hmm. So it's the choice of, do I want to, and this is tolerating, do I want to continue to tolerate feeling this way? Or am I going to go pick up a book and sit, park at a bench? Am I going to change the pattern, the habit, convincing myself I'm alone, and then behaving in alignment with that diet? Mm-hmm. And I'd like to that, I guess I didn't realize originally when you had stated that, that you don't have to find somebody like a friend or a boyfriend or a husband or something like that. Like it can be somebody like you, a coach to hold them accountable. It can be somebody that, you know, can help you see that bigger picture. Even if they're not somebody in your life currently, you can go make the decision that you don't want to deal with it anymore. You're not going to tolerate it anymore and seek out somebody that's going to help you see that bigger picture. Yes. And honestly, if you don't have somebody in your life that can be, you know, love you just as you are, but be honest Mm-hmm. Uh, in the feedback and the information they're giving you where it's like, well, of course you continue to date people like this, or of course you can, I see this pattern in you. I'm not judging you. I love you completely. Uh, but this is what I see where you create these challenges for yourself. Give it to you straightforward. A lot of people don't like to make other people uncomfortable. Some do don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, But if you don't have that person, there are resources. And for me, it was a phone call to my dad. My dad read to me for 15 minutes a day. Find a book. Mm -hmm. Start giving your your brain new information to work, to listen to, to think about. And that's when you start opening the windows to your mind and the breeze comes through and does a nice, you know, sweep out of all that stale uh, old thought that just no longer serves you. You can't breathe in it. Yeah, that's something that definitely helped me. I'm a big uh, self-improvement book reader. So I liked those a lot. But I feel like once I started, like I would try to like power through an entire book and then apply everything that I learned. And then it doesn't follow through because like you were saying, it goes through your belief system. And, you know, it's just almost too much information to try to plow into your life all at once. But so even if you're not, you know, doing it through reading, which I still suggest you do. But even if you're not doing it through reading, I was uh, listening to motivational speeches or watching inspirational documentaries, like something in general to, like you were saying, filter out that negative self-talk and create a new dialogue for yourself. I like that approach a lot. I think that that's very effective. The first approach really needs to be, do I want this for me? Do I, do I want this for me? I don't, when I seen my, the way that I was treating my kids, of course I felt uh, they would probably be better off without my influence. Like this is gonna, this is gonna be awful for them to grow up with a mom like this. But I wanted to be in their life in a different way. Mm -hmm. I wanted to feel differently. So yes, I did it for my children, my family. But ultimately, I didn't want to continue to feel the way I was feeling. Yeah, was about me. I like that point that it's you have to just like, you have to say to yourself, like, do I really want to feel like this? Like, why do I keep acting like this? I don't want to live my life angry or sad or what embarrassed or anxious. Like I can't continue on like this. Why would I choose to live my life like this? And then be able to make your decision from there and your action steps. Were you always somebody that um, struggled with chasing this happiness or be like having this relationship with yourself? Or was it after you became a mom that it started to become more of an issue? But so I was always referred to as really happy, cheerful, bubbly Bonnie Mm -hmm. uh, in school. I mean, well, 
So we might actually get to something I've never shared publicly, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. I'm happy to have it. <laughs> okay. So um, in school, I was always the person that other people would come to for, you know, for advice, for insight, for comfort in their situations, friends that were cutting or, you know, doing drugs, had abusive parents or just challenging homes. They would come to me and share this with me. And just after conversations, they would feel better. A lot of people didn't know that Bonnie, this happy, cheerful, bubbly, you know, person was experiencing this immense amount of pain inside. So um, I got to a point where I, I remember my first goal that I ever set, I was 14 years old and it was to kill myself. And my mom had a lot of medical problems. She had back surgery, thyroid depression. She had, you know, she, she, uh, heart surgery. She had all kinds of medication. Nobody was home. She had all her medications in a black, um, metal pill box. And I can remember taking that pill box down. It was cold. It, it fit perfectly in my hands from my thumb to my fingers. And I set it down and I opened the lid and there were, a dozen or so pill bottles there. And I just remember thinking, okay, this is it. Like I can get rid of this noise, this emotion, this feeling. It was just so intense. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to get any of it to stop my, you know. And so I opened up the pill bottles uh, and I just dumped six, seven of each pill in my hand. And I had a handful of pills and it took me to, two throwbacks, if you will, to get them all down. And I remember the feeling of like, oh my God, I just did that. I just swallowed all those pills. What do I do now? Like there was this space of panic. Nobody was home. And I was like, I just need to go to my room. And I did. I went to my room. I fell asleep. I woke up in the most excruciating pain. I was just sweating my stomach I just the pain in my stomach, in my body. I was shaking. Um, and I, I don't know how I did it, but I forced myself to fall back asleep. And I woke up the next morning and I felt like my head had just been struck. I, such a headache. And I was upset that I was alive. And I did the same thing that day and over and over. And at the time, I had also become bulimic and anorexic because, you know, I had been heavy my whole life. I didn't like being the chubby, cheerful Bonnie. Mm -hmm. um, and that one Sunday, my entire family was over. It was a big Sunday dinner. We were watching Christmas vacation downstairs. I gathered everybody's plates and I took them upstairs. And my mom had already been talking to her doctor. She's like, I, I think I might be forgetting that I'm taking my medicine. I that it's just not lasting I remember her saying, oh, my, my kids would never do anything like that. Nobody had any idea. Yeah. And I had already taken two handfuls earlier that day and nothing had happened. And I took down the pillbox when the water was going so she couldn't hear me grab it. And I took another handful. I went downstairs and about 10 minutes or so, um, I thought I was getting really tired. And I just laid my head down on my boyfriend's lap. And all of a sudden I'm waking up to what I thought was an angel. I thought I had done it, but it was my oldest sister. She had my hand in her hand and she was rubbing my hand. And she said, Bonnie, Bonnie, open your eyes. Bonnie, come back to us, Bonnie. And she was saying my name over and over again. When I opened my eyes, every eye in that room was on me and their faces, it, just, oh man, just in shock. And my mom, who was in the medical field most of her life, she was on the phone and she starts crying and yelling. She's awake. She's awake. What do we do? I had no idea what was going on. And then I was out again. And then I heard my oldest sister again, and I'm waking up. And my brother, who was my very, very best friend, was just the I looked at his face and just tears streaming down his face and I was out again. And then I'm hearing voices and everything. I wake up in the hospital and I was having seizures back to back to back. 
so to answer your question, no, I was not always happy. I had, I think that I had always been trying to chase this feeling of belonging and not being a burden. And, you know, even after I made those promises that I would stop doing that, it didn't take care of the pain. I just made promises that I would stop doing it. So now I needed to find a way to hide, but I was still having this pain. And that led to self-mutilation, cutting. Mm -hmm. Because if I could physically, visibly see that, you know, I remember the knife going across, you know, my thighs. And if I could see the reason for the pain, it made sense. I had no idea about emotional intelligence, you know, emotional maturity and mental maturity in that space. Uh, but I also believe that I've always just cared deeply. And I can remember at a young age telling my mom, if I could take everybody's pain in the world away for them, I would. And I was maybe five when I said that for the first time. But uh, no, I had always chased um, acceptance and belonging and understanding of myself and feeling like life had meaning for me. Mm -hmm. Can I first say thank you so much for sharing that story with us? I It's very powerful and I appreciate it so much. And yeah. secondly, thank God it didn't work because of all of the lives that you have impacted because of this that you've been through. I think that's so incredible. I mean, do you think that so because it's something that it sounds like you were struggling with from this young age, do you think that we fall out of love with ourselves or do you think that we have to learn how to love ourselves from the get-go? Like, have we ever totally loved ourselves, do you think? Okay, so this my answer is going to be different from other people's answers. And again, it's going to be coming down to what your beliefs in life are. I believe that we have a name and a title. And with this name and this title comes expectations. And with these expectations, so for me, it's daughter, right? With these expectations, I suddenly feel like if I don't meet these expectations for my parents, who also have a title, then I've, I'm, up, I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. But when we take off the name, you know, daughter, the title daughter, and my name, then I'm just a human being. And if we take off the human being, then I believe that we're just pure love. That is our essence. That is our essence. So when we go through life, protecting ourselves from potential danger and pains from the outside, I choose to believe just for clarity and a way to transform. I choose to believe we create this self-sabotage and protection because we love ourselves so much that we are avoiding, we're protecting ourselves from this potential uncontrollable pain coming in from the outside. If it's something we inflict on ourselves, then we have this false sense that it's controllable. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have that belief that I love myself so much that I'm trying to protect myself from experiencing this uncontrolled pain, then it can be this observation. Wow. Okay. So what part of me is afraid of this pain? Um, so you, there's a little bit of trauma work that probably has got to be done. But if I love myself this much to protect myself from potential pain, I also love myself enough to experience love, to experience, you know, joy and fun. And I can do that for myself too. So it really comes down to perspective. I think at this core level, we absolutely do love ourselves and it would be impossible for us to not love ourselves because love is our our makeup it's our frequency mm -hmm. that's so cool i love that answer okay so on wellish basically the premise is that you work so hard kind of what we were talking about earlier you work so hard to become this best version of yourself but 
it's never going to be a hundred percent. There's always going to be work to be done. You're always going to, you know, want to achieve the next best thing. So I just have a couple questions for you to wrap things up. Okay. I know that you said that you don't like to use the word worry. You said, what did you say instead that you like to cr- what yeah. can you work on? What was it? Yes, yes, yes. What you can focus on, what you can, what you can work on. Okay. So what's something that you're working on right now? Something I'm working on right now is expanding my reach uh, through speaking. So I'm working on developing, uh, being seen as an expert in my field, as a self-relationship expert in a very unique way and um, wanting to reach more people that way. So that's something I'm working on developing with myself. Okay. What is a toxic mental habit that you used to carry that you can proudly say you no longer do? Oof, that's a really great question. So this is one that I continue to work on. I'm going to tell you, I'll be honest, I continue to work on it, but I can compassionately call myself out on it and shift quickly. And I have the belief that I'm a burden. I relate to that. Yes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. And the funny thing is, it's the belief that creates the behavior. So then I begin to behave as though I am. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy, right? Yeah. The belief that I'm a burden, probably the most toxic um belief I think that you could have because there's no belonging with them. Mm-hmm. What ha- what's gone into working on overcoming that toxic trait? Identifying it, calling it out when I hear it, uh, being able to realize this has been a pattern. This no longer is in service of me. This, I used to think this was true. Yes, I get it. So instead of fighting it, I'm going to look at it because what you resist persists, what you focus on expands, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of fighting it, I'm going to acknowledge that there's a part of me that's bringing it up because there's something that I'm moving into that um, I'm afraid of. I'm still not comfortable with it, okay. right? So it's just observing it, uh, being compassionate with it and uh, calling yourself out on it. Yeah. Awesome. With all of your experience and all of your knowledge, what is something that you have learned about life that you would like to share with the rest of the world? If you could tell the whole world one message, what would it be? Gosh, there's so much. Your relationship with yourself reflects the quality of your life experience. Awesome. Where can people find you? And you can find me on my website, thefreelymejourney.com or bonniesurry.com. You can find me on Facebook, uh, The Freely Me Journey or Bonnie Surrey, on Instagram and also LinkedIn. Which will all be linked in the show notes below as well. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate all of your insight and your powerful messaging. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are so impactful. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate you.